0: Man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God doth man live. Amen. Every word of God is pure. Amen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Amen. Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Hosea. The first, the fourth chapter is where we will turn. Hosea chapter four. Let me read to you the first verse of chapter four, which summarizes what the purpose of these fourteen chapters of the book of Hosea are about. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy With the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. These words are not addressed to the Philistines or the Egyptians. They're addressed to the people of Israel, the church of God of the Old Testament. They're addressed indirectly to you and to me and to the Christians of this so called Christian nation. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. God has a controversy with us the inhabitants of the land, for three reasons. Because there is no truth, mercy, or the knowledge of God in the land. The lack of truth. The lack of truth about our origin. They teach evolution instead of creation. The lack of truth about religion and true theology of the Bible. The lack of truth when it comes to economic policies in our government. The lack of truth in being open and honest in all dealings. A lack of mercy. They abort babies while saving baby seals. There's a lack of mercy. There's a lack of mercy by not killing every murderer as soon as he's found on our streets. They call it mercy by not believing in capital punishment. That's the opposite of mercy. Real mercy would give a little bit of comfort to the relatives of the murdered victim by slaughtering murderers of all ages. Of all kinds, there's no mercy in the land. There's no knowledge of God in the land. They don't fear God. They don't understand God. They don't know the God of the Bible. They say that the God of Jehovah, the God, Jehovah God, the God of the Bible, is the same as Allah, the God of the Muslims. They stand around and sing, God bless America. They print on our pagan and profane money, and God we trust. There's no real knowledge of the God of the Bible. And because of that, he has a controversy with Israel. He had a controversy with them, and he has a controversy with us. But we don't want to just think about our nation, even though that scourge is going to come upon our nation and it's already here. We want to think about ourselves and ask ourselves how much truth, mercy, and knowledge of God do we have. Then let's go to the last verse of this prophet, Hosea chapter 14, in the ninth verse. Because what a wonderful way this book ends. And I want you to know right up front the conclusion that Hosea is going to work us toward as he gets to this last verse. And there's two questions here, and I hope that you're able to answer both of them, that you are that man. You are this woman. Who is wise? Who is wise? And he shall understand these things. Prudent. Who is prudent? Prudent. Who's prudent in this assembly? He shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. If we will walk in the ways of the Lord, the Lord's going to deliver us, just like we had presented by our brother a few minutes ago. But if we despise those ways of the Lord, neglect them or reject them, we're going to fall Because the Lord's gonna come and grind us down. He's gonna blast against us. We're gonna sow the wind and we're gonna reap a whirlwind. What are these ways? What are these things that we can understand and that we can know? The reminders of God's past mercies. His warnings about coming judgment. His identification of our sins. His offering and promises of mercy if we will repent and confess our sins. All the things that are contained in the 14th chapter and in the whole book of Hosea are the things that we can understand and know if we are wise and prudent. And if we walk in them, and they're fair and they're just and they're good and they're kind, they're merciful and better than anything we would ever offer anyone else. We can live and walk in them, but if we do not, we'll fall therein. May the Lord bless us as we take a survey of the book of Hosea in light of the controversy God had with Israel, the one he has with this nation, and the one he has with all of us on a regular basis, as Psalm 50 was used to point out to you already. The book of Hosea is primarily God's rebukes and warnings against the nation of Israel. For all of you from children to old. There were, from the days of Rehoboam on, after Solomon, two nations. Two separate nations, and they didn't like each other. And they fought against each other and killed hundreds of thousands of each other. Israel was the ten tribes. They were called the northern kingdom. Judah was the, was two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. They were called the southern kingdom. They separated In the first few days of office of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Most of Hosea is against Israel. And Israel is also called Ephraim. That's just a pet name for Israel in the Bible. The ten tribes are being addressed. They were guilty of terrible spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery is when you take the name of God and play with false religion. When you take the name of God and flirt with the world. That is spiritual adultery. The Bible uses this comparison over and over and over from beginning to end, from the beginning of the Bible and the books of Moses to the last book of the Bible and the book of Revelation. Not every time you read adultery, fornication, and whoredom are they talking about literal man and woman not married to each other having sex. More frequently than that, they're talking about you taking the name of God in your mouth and playing with heathen gods and committing idolatry. Or being in love with the world and a friend of it. When James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses. When it says that, it is not saying that the twelve tribes that James was writing to, that were baptized believers in churches scattered throughout the world, were all literal, physical, sexual adulterers and adulteresses. It's that they were friends of the world because the text goes on to tell us that. And that's what this book is about, as so many of the prophets dealt with this subject. As American Christians, we should listen carefully and examine our own hearts and lives. They were guilty of spiritual adultery and sexual debauchery and sin, and so is America. And so are most American Christians guilty of spiritual adultery. The Lord had a controversy with them, and He's got one with us. It's been said, and it's been said relatively well, if God doesn't judge America soon and severe... He owes Solomon Gomorrah an apology. There are national judgments throughout the Bible. God raises up nations and he puts nations down. God raised up this nation and God is able to put this nation down and this nation deserves to be put down. It should be obvious to even a casual fool that God's judgment is coming upon the earth in a different way. He can bring pestilence, he can bring famine. He can bring war and he can bring economic trouble. And he's bringing economic trouble. And the wealth that's being ripped out of men's pockets and out of their minds from nations is great. And we can see it happening. Nothing happens accidentally. Nothing happens coincidentally. Nothing happens naturally. Nothing happens statistically. But God has not purposed to bring to pass. It is His work. And so we must always realize that as we see things and read things that are happening in our world. America is foolish, it's profane, it's rebellious, and it's wicked. In the face of the greatest national blessings a nation has ever had. And it deserves what's coming. Our desire is to learn God's will. Search our hearts and turn to Him more fully. And avoid the scourge that's coming on this nation that it reached not into our homes and families and into our church. You know, the New Testament takes Old Testament examples and says that those things that happened to them were examples for us. 1 Timothy ten six through 11. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. That's us in the New Testament. Those Old Testament things happen for a reason. To teach us object lessons of how we ought to consider before we are judged ourselves. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, after describing that generation that never made it to Canaan, the Bible says, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. We do not want to come short of God's best for our lives and God's rest for us here in this world. The goal is for wise and prudent men to understand the judgment and the mercy of the Lord. Hosea is severe. But buried in Hosea are some verses that I'm going to show you where God shows how merciful He is right. and how easy it is. Just as you saw in Psalm 50, He doesn't want a lot of money. He doesn't ask for your firstborn like the gods of the pagans ask. He gave His firstborn for you. That's right. Amen. He's easy. He wants you to order your conversation to right, to offer up thanksgiving, pay your vows, and when you're in trouble, call on Him instead of anyone else. That's pure religion right there. That's what He wants from us. What a wonderful God to serve. That sounds like a free lunch. It is. It is. It's the only one you're ever going to find. Because it's pure grace. That's why it's free. This was written to the people of God. Let's take a survey of it. I hope that I can make you comfortable with the book of Hosea in the few minutes that we have together today. And we're not going to be long today. And so I may have to cut some of what I've prepared because I was, I'm was, i tempted to want to do a verse-by-verse verse of the whole book. And uh, we have a number of verses to look at, but we're only going to take a few minutes on each. And I'm going to trust the Spirit of the living God to bless His words to your heart, to understand the severity, to be reminded of past blessings, to see His offerings of future reward, to see His promises of how easily He'll forgive, to see His description of all he asks from us. It's all here. And a wise man is going to understand it, and a prudent man's going to know it, and the just are going to walk out of here, and they are going to live by faith and walk in the good things that they have in this book, and they're going to be delivered. Amen. But if you walk out of here, neglect it, reject it, ignore it, the Lord's going to tear you to pieces, and I'm going to enjoy watching it, and he's going to enjoy watching it. And I only say that because if you walk out of here and neglect and reject his words as his ambassador, and he is the high king of heaven, you deserve everything that's coming. Right. Because my God is going to get the glory and I want him to have that glory. You, we do, you don't play with the God of heaven. Everyone else wants to play with him. They want to yap about him. They want to throw out his name. They don't even know him. Let's humble ourselves before the book of Hosea. Yeah. Chapter 1. Verse 2, let's get verse 1 just to remind ourselves when and who and whom this prophecy is about. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. See, two nations, named Israel and Judah, two capitals, Samaria and Jerusalem, two sets of kings, running contemporaneously. He is in Israel, addressing Israel primarily with a few remarks about Judah. So, the book of Hosea. the beginning, Verse 2, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. He tells us exactly what kind of whoredom he's talking about when he speaks of Israel. Spiritual whoredom. Because they have departed from the Lord. The ten tribes, when Rehoboam took office, said, We are not going to pay the heavy taxes that Solomon has levied upon us. And Rehoboam, your arrogant attitude and your threat to raise taxes is all we needed to hear. What do we have to do with David and the tribe of Judah? Bye bye. Rehoboam sent the IRS after the ten tribes and they stoned them to death. There was a civil war. Hundreds of thousands died. The ten tribes realized we don't have the temple that Solomon built, so how are we going to worship? So Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, raised up a couple golden calves for them and they moved them around from Bethel to Beth Haven and Gilgal and other places and they worshipped golden calves. And so they had a false religion because they couldn't go to Jerusalem because Judah and Benjamin would kill them. So there's a civil war, two religions, Baal worship over here in Israel, the worship of Jehovah in a purer sense in Judah. And that's what we have here. They had departed from the Lord, and that's the whoredom. Now this is, see, if a minister gets up and he doesn't call people whores, then he's not a minister of Jesus Christ. That's right. Right. He's not a prophet anything like Hosea. This language is used by the authors and writers of Scripture from beginning to end. That's right. It's spiritual adultery. When you flirt with the world... Or when you have another Jesus, or even think about another Jesus, or even sing about another Jesus, then you're flirting with that other Jesus that is a representation of the devil himself, and you're guilty of spiritual adultery. And so, for an object lesson. Now see, this kind of a prophet doesn't come before his people with a golf shirt on, khakis and loafers, and spiked hair. If he comes like that, he's no prophet of God. Right. The prophet of the prophets of God wore rough clothing and they unloaded on their audiences. They preached the word of the Lord. They blasted the gospel trumpet. As we're going to read in this book, they hewed their people. That is H-E-W-E-D. They hewed them to pieces. That means they took a sword and chopped them to pieces. He hewed them by the prophets. Amen. It is not to make you feel good. It is not to tell you pretty things. It is to get your attention and to announce against your sins that God is going to judge you so that when it happens, it's going to be as clear as the light shining on this sunny morning that it's God coming to judge you in your life because you've been told over and over, and Hosea makes the point I'm making right now, over and over in this book. Because God sent His prophets before He ever judged His people. And so the object lesson was, Hosea go find yourself a whore that's got some children by whoredom because she wasn't using good enough birth control and I want you to take that woman and her children and marry her. Sick! Who would want to do that? I don't believe the commentaries that said this was all in his head. There's a specific name a specific father, a specific town that he went and got her from. Right. This is the prophets of God because sin is serious and God's ministers are serious about it. Right. And Hosea was one of God's ministers. And so here, that's an object lesson that wouldn't go over very well today. That's not taught in pulpit speech in any Bible seminary. That's not taught in pulpit manner. You know, they say, he's got such a dignified manner in the pulpit. Well, what if they ever met Hosea? As he drug his whore into church. And you know why? Because this nation was guilty of whoredom, so he married one. Oh, there's a whole lot more that could be said. You know, I could preach for hours on the subject I'm talking about right now, and that's the graphic language of God's ministers. If you need 100 or 200 references, go look up the outline called Rude Preachers that's on the internet. Because God's ministers are rude men when it comes to pronouncing evil against sin and telling people what's going to happen to them if they continue in their sin. And this is the man of God right here. Most today are obsessed with pretty people giving politically correct presentations rather than a prophet of God graphically condemning our sins in plain and powerful ways. But Hosea did it. Praise the Lord for men like Hosea. And what a Bible. I can love this book. What's the lesson? we should get from this verse, Hosea 1-2, that spiritual adultery is a terrible sin and God considers it very repulsive, like marrying a slut and taking her slut children to be your family. That's how much it makes God sick. It makes Him angry. He despises it. It reviles Him. When we commit spiritual adultery, because God wants you 100%. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. He wants all of you. And if you flirt with the world, if you're a friend of the world, then you're the enemy of God. James 4.4 4. That isn't Jonathan Crosby's philosophy. That's Jesus Christ's religion. amen. We want to hate the world and their lifestyle. We want to love the Lord Jesus Christ and His lifestyle. Otherwise, we're guilty of adultery according to the testimony of the New Testament and the Old Testament. God wants you 100%. You're not to be conformed to this world. You're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're supposed to have a new mind that's totally different from the way the world thinks and the way the world's Christians think. We're to have our mind conformed to the Word of God itself. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God shall man live. And so we have this object lesson of spiritual adultery right off the bat. Verse 2, how's that for a sweet introduction? Hosea, grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you, (laughs) you Israelites. You know why? Because God hated them. God's going to tell us in this book that he hated Israel right now in a practical way for their carnality and spiritual adultery and wickedness. But if they would repent, he would love them yet again. Of course he loved them with an everlasting love, those that were his remnant seed among them. But he sure wasn't showing it to them at this time. He was sending Shalmaneser and the other kings of Assyria to rip them to pieces and to take their pregnant women and gouge out their babies. Mm -hmm. And if you want to listen to a praise band that doesn't talk that way, they're from hell. That's right, Because that is the Word of God and that is the book of Hosea. And if you don't like it, then you don't like the God of the Bible. And therefore, you don't have the knowledge of God and God's controversy is with you. Yeah, that's, right. that's what one was all about. Do you have the knowledge of God? The God of the Bible. This nation is so profane in its entertainment, in its activities, in its lifestyle, in its philosophy, in its beliefs, in its practices... God has a controversy with this nation. God has a controversy with this church and with us. But I want to say right now, by the grace of God, He has kept us. Amen. He has kept us. We don't need to fear a book like this. We need to love a book like this. It should cause us a little bit of trembling, but a whole lot of rejoicing. And that's the bottom line I want for you today. But I want you to know that if the scourge comes, and we see it, and it, we, we, I hope you can already see it. Oh, there's some great verses in here. I know... If there's great verses, then why don't you get to them, Brother Crosby? Amen. Did you know there's a verse that says, "Israel, Ephraim's got Ephraim's got a gray gray hair here and there." Do you know what it means? What that means? It means that a gray hair here and there means you're about to die. We're not talking about being prematurely gray. That's another problem. But when you have gray hair appearing, that means you're going to die soon. And he says, "Israel's got gray hairs appearing." Because judgment was coming. Assyria was marching its armies against them. They were already under tribute. And can't we look around and see that this nation is already under the judgment of God? And it'll get worse. Okay. This, these are some highlights from the book of Hosea. The Lord blessed me in the book of Hosea. I, I want to do it verse by verse, but I don't want it to become tedious to you. So I want to see if we can skim it and pull out some good things, and then when we go home today, you're comfortable with the book of Hosea. Now, if it takes me a couple of weeks, we'll take a couple of weeks, but I'm, I'm going to try to go fast. The next verse I want to show you. Verse 2, the lesson was, God's ministers are pretty graphic. Amen. Chapter 1, verse 2, the lesson is, God wants you 100%, and if you're flirting with the world, or you're flirting with false religion, you're guilty of spiritual adultery, and He just calls you a whore. Now, this isn't the only time. I know it's used three times in that verse. Two times for a literal whore. One time for a spiritual whore. It's used dozens and dozens and dozens of times throughout the Bible. Same same lesson. But verse 4. The Lord said unto him, this is to Hosea, call his name Jezreel. This is the first child he has by Gomer, his whore. Call his name Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. Hosea, that first child you're having, that, bo- that little boy that was just born to Gomer, call his name Jezreel, because I'm about to unload on the house of Jehu. Remember, Jehu was a usurper. God raised up Jehu to go kill Ahab's son Jehoram, and Ahaziah, and Jezebel, and all the Baal worshippers in Israel. Do you remember the story? If, if you don't remember, you know what we're going to have to do, and it's going to take weeks. Remember the story. It's a wonderful story. Second Kings nine, Second Kings 10, both chapters are dedicated to Jehu. Jehu did very well, exceeding well, in executing that which was pleasing in the sight of God by killing all the Baal worshippers and killing Jezebel and killing Ahab's son and killing Ahaziah, the king of Judah, because he got them both. Right. But, do you know what it says? In 2 Kings chapter 10, as it comes to the end of Jehu's life, but Jehu did not depart from the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, to wit, the golden calves. Amen. Now listen, here's a man, Jehu. Yes, I've loved Jehu since I was a little boy. Because how can you read 2 Kings 9 and 10 about the intense ferocity of that man in executing the will of God in a way that pleased God very much? It's wonderful to read about it. You know, when he sent a letter out and put it in the New York Times and put it on the Internet that said, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu's going to serve him much. You know, that I love that story. I was, I was young. You know, I want them all here. And he gets them all in there and he puts their robes on and he says, are there any worshipers of God in here? Get them out of here. And he's got Jonadab at his side. He said, let me show you my zeal for the Lord. And he gets up there. He offers a sacrifice to Baal. I say, how, how did he take such liberty? Oh, because he could smell the blood already. And then he turns around, and you know, they're all disarmed because they've got robes, weapons off, and they just had a sacrifice. And then he says to his captain, have fun, he walks out. Yes. If anyone escapes from this temple, he'll die for letting one Baal worshiper escape. I loved it. Right. But you get to Second Kings chapter 10, he didn't depart from the two golden calves. And so God told him, Four generations is all you get. And this is the end right here in the book of Hosea. I'm going to let your son sit on the throne of Israel for four generations. And then they're going to get ripped out. Do you know how they got ripped out? By a usurper that killed Zechariah, the last one of them, who was the son of Jeroboam right here. And it was wiped out. What's the lesson for us from verse 4? God judges hypocrites who condemn others but live in sin. So what we want to do is ask ourselves, am I like Jehu? I'm very, I'm very jealous and very zealous for the Lord of hosts' sake in a number of ways, but I, I allow sin in my life. Then you're like Jehu. He was very zealous for the Lord of hosts. Let me show you my zeal for the Lord. And he did. He showed Jonadab. Jonadab believed him. Jonadab participated with him. Those were two righteous men. But then he had sin in his life, and he did not depart from that sin. That was a horrible case of of wickedness by his hypocrisy. And so God was going to judge his family, and his great-great-grandson was cut off in a usurpation himself, and then the whole nation of Israel was carried captive by the Assyrians. So our lesson is that even a great man like Jehu can bring judgment upon himself by not living a holy and righteous life, even if he did some great things for God. If you're you're a righteous man and you've done great things for God and you have paid a price of discipleship to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and yet you turn to sin or you allow sin in your life, God will judge you for that hypocrisy because you were zealous against sin. And you know what really comes down on preachers heavily? It comes down on leaders. It comes down on fathers. If you criticize your children, if you go home and criticize another church member for not being as righteous as you think they ought to be and yet you have unrighteousness in your life, You're like Jehu, and God's going to judge you, and He's going to judge you severely. That zeal that Jehu used ended up bringing God's zeal against his own family because he didn't live it out consistently. We don't have the right to take other people's lives for idolatry if we just happen to worship a different idol. Jehu killed all the Baal worshippers because they were worshipping Baal, but Jehu went and worshipped two golden calves. Are you with me? Romans chapter 2 condemned those Jews. Thou that condemnest another. Don't you condemn yourself because you're guilty of the same sins from the same category? Okay. We don't want to be that way. The scourge is coming on America. We don't want it to reach to us. I'm praying for this church. This church is going to pray for itself before you go home today. Amen. We don't want the scourge to reach to us, because we want to read these verses and say, Lord, forgive me, where I have been inconsistent and a hypocrite like Jehu. Let's go to the next verse. Verse 7. I know, I could, I know there's a lot. If I skip a verse that you really want, then write me about it. Ask me out for breakfast. I'll, I'll buy breakfast. Just say, can we have breakfast? And we'll talk, we'll talk about the verse that we skip over. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I want to try a different approach so that you can feel comfortable without getting bogged down in the book of Hosea. I know you want to know all about Lo-Ruhamah and lo am But they're simple. You can read that and figure it out yourself. There were two more kids born because God was going to throw the nation of Israel away. Yes, God throws His people away. No more mercy. No, you're not my children. Get lost. Scatter them among the nations. And then you're going to read about Ruhamah and Ami, later, with no low. The prefix means no. And once the prefix is taken off, it means mercy and children. Amen. And you know what? Paul knew the fulfillment of those. I'm, I'm, I'm cheating now. I'm basically telling anyway. Romans chapter 9, verses 25 and 26 tell us the fulfillment of this whole lesson is found in the gospel conversion of Jews and Gentiles under Paul's preaching. Amen. And 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter wrote the scattered Jews throughout the world, the remnant of these Israelites. Scattered throughout the world and said, You are not the people of God, but now you're the people of God. Now you're a royal nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now you're the people of God, through the gospel, through Jesus Christ. Verse 7, I will have mercy upon the house of Judah. He's going to throw Israel away. He just said that in verse 4. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. That would have been a terrible thing to hear from the prophet Hosea preaching in the first Baptist church of Samaria. To hear that they are going to lose their nation, and Judah is going to be saved, and Judah is not even going to have to fight for their deliverance. Because what Israel was doing was hiring the Egyptians and hiring the Assyrians to protect them, and yet it was the Assyrians that destroyed them. They thought they needed a big army to protect them. The event that is under consideration in 1-7 is Hezekiah bringing in and laying that... Remember, he said he was prophesying in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah? Right. Remember when Hezekiah put the letter down before the Lord and said, Look what they're saying about you? And the angel of the Lord went out that night and took out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Israel didn't have to fight. All they did was get up in the morning. Do you know how big the print was on the front page? This big. 185,000 Assyrians dead. All the rest are gone. All dead corpses. Lots of fertilizer. I will have mercy upon the house. This is brethren. Judah and Israel were the people of God. Judah and Israel were the church of God. Do you see the difference within the church of God? Right. Did you hear the distinction this morning of several classes of people? Carnal, spiritual adulterers, and then righteous ones? Look at the difference. I'm gonna throw your nation away. You're not a people. Lo, lo am I. No more mercy for you. Lo Rumaha. But for Judah, I'll save them and they won't even have to fight. They won't even have to implement the draft. I'll do it myself. Praise the Lord. This is comfort in the book of Hosea. You're going to see this throughout the whole book. It's just pound, pound, pound against Israel for their sins with offerings of forgiveness and mercy if they would repent. And reminders that Judah was going to get better treatment from the Lord because they were better. They were worshiping the Lord God in Jerusalem, even though He's going to find fault with them and have a controversy with them, just like the other category you had from Psalm 50, and no, there was not any joint preparation on it. They were not doing as well as they could have in Jerusalem, but they were doing better than worshiping two golden calves in, in Samaria. And the, you know how great our God is? He's merciful even for that. Amen. You can leave the high places up if you do it ignorantly, and God will still count your heart perfect before Him. Right. But only if you're ignorant. And we do our best in this church to make sure you're not ignorant, which is good and bad. It means to whom much is given, much should be required. Right. It means thank you, Lord, for showing us your precious Word. Amen. There, there's chapter 1. Oh, I mean, yes. And verse 11 is, yes, there's prophecies of Jesus Christ in the gospel kingdom in here when both Israel and Judah would be brought back together and united under one head and leader. Like the last verse of chapter 3, which I'm not even, I'm gonna, verse 5 of chapter 3, afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. How could they seek David their king? He's been dead for 500 years. Seek their king, David, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Israel and Judah together, where were they together? Sitting in churches throughout the Roman Empire, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. I'm just picking a few verses that the Lord spoke to me about that I want to share with you. About the controversy that he had with his people and their country and their nation of Israel and Judah and the controversy that he has with our nation, and the Christians in this nation, and with us as well. Verse 6, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns, and make a wall, that she shall not find her paths. In verse 5, God is referring to Israel as a whore, who's wandering about trying to find her lovers. And he says in verse 6, I'm going to take a bunch of thorns, and hedge up the way, so she can't find her lovers. Now listen, brethren, I'm thankful for two hedges of God. The first hedge is the hedge in Job chapter 1, where God puts a hedge around us and saves us from evil. But there's another hedge I like, where God puts a hedge around us so we can't get into evil. And that's right here in chapter 2 and verse 6. That's the lesson. When was the last time you prayed for that? I remember when my father got all of us boys and grandchildren in my house... Ten years ago, and told us from Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, I believe it is, the Lord's Prayer. He wanted us to pray the way the Lord prayed. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's that kind of a hedge. Don't get us into temptation where we can fall to sin. Don't try us. Don't tempt us. Keep us away from it. And that's what the Lord's doing here in verse 6. Therefore, behold, since, since she's out looking for her lovers and thinks that committing spiritual adultery is very pleasant to her. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns, and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. When I was a little boy, in my late teenage years, I left home looking for great pleasure in sin. And the Lord hedged up my way, so that I couldn't find my paths and just left me the most miserable of young men on earth. Because while I may have left one father who was limited geographically to the state of Michigan and went 3,000 miles away to the state of Washington, I did not leave another father who made sure that I was miserable and hedged me up so that I couldn't commit the sins I was intent on committing. You say, you're so sinful. Amen. I am. But I love the Lord God of heaven who made me so miserable. I'm getting ahead of myself because the next verse says it's so much better back home. Did I come home? Was I in my right mind? You couldn't recognize me? Haircut? Fidel Castro hat off? Normal clothes on? I walked into a barber shop in Camas, Washington and said, whatever you do for the state troopers in this state, do it to me. I didn't know what even to ask for a real haircut. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Not too far from that one. Oh, Lord, you're so good. Look at this. He hedges us about. Do you pray for this hedge? Parents, do you pray for this hedge for your children? Amen. That if their heart isn't right with the Lord, the Lord's going to hedge them up so even though they're wandering with their poor heart, they can't get into trouble. Yeah. Amen. Right. Right. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Oh, it's pitiful. I could tell you details. If it, man, I could... Oh. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. This is a different kind of a hedge. I, I hope I can get you excited about the book of Hosea for your own life and for your family's life and this church's life. So when the scourge comes into this country, it doesn't touch us. Amen. Let's, ha- let's ask him to hedge it up so we can't get ourselves into sin. Wherever I'm weak, Lord, put a hedge of thorns there so that I get pricked every time I turn in that direction. He did it. Even, even though he didn't like Israel right now. And even though she was intent on pursuing her lovers, he wasn't going to let her. He was trying to win her back. Of course he could. Of course he will. And he did. Remember? Then shall the children of Jude and the children of Israel be gathered together. Verse 11 of chapter 1. Oh, he did it. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Verse 7. She shall follow after her lovers, but the hedge is going to get in the way. But she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than now. Praise the Lord! Have any of you been out there wandering around looking for your lovers? And the Lord just made it difficult and it wasn't satisfying and it wasn't fulfilling and it didn't give you what you were looking for so you said, you know what? It was better back home. Let me get on that DC-10 and fly from Portland, Oregon to Metro Airport in Detroit, Michigan. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. See, it's, it's spiritual adultery constantly. Israel went after these other gods, but they never satisfied her. She was never as prosperous, never as peaceful, afflicted, tormented at war with these nations, you know, they would go pick the gods of the Assyrians and then end up being in war against the Assyrians. The Assyrians didn't care that they worshipped their gods hypocritically. And so the Lord made it difficult for them. And so, like the prodigal in the pig's pen, he comes to his right mind and he says, oh, What am I doing? I'm about to take food out of a pig's mouth. There are servants back home getting treated better than this. I will arise and go to my father. Do you know who brought that about? The Lord hedging up her way so she couldn't follow her lovers. You need the Lord to hedge up your way so you can't follow your foolish lovers if you would seek spiritual adultery in your life. It's God's restraining hedge of thorns. Thank you, Lord. What's the lesson? Remember from whence you are fallen and seek it again. That's what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Have there been times of refreshing in your life, seasons of refreshing, where you were full of spiritual joy and love of Christ? Then go back home to the Father and ask Him for that to be restored to you. You are out chasing down lovers, and He's hedged up your way and put thorns in your way so that you're not happy with your life right now as you were once. And so David would say, O oh my soul, why art thou cast down within me? You used to go with the people on holy day, and you rejoiced with them. What's happened? Because God's put a hedge of thorns in your way and is not letting you be at peace. How many times have, has this church prayed for those who separate from us, for those rebels, that God will make them miserable? Do you know why we do that? Because we love them like God does. Because right. Right. we want a hedge of thorns put up to prick them as they try to follow their own heart's desire instead of following the word of God. She shall not find them. Why? Because I will hedge up the way with thorns. Verse 6. Do you understand those two verses? Do you know how comforting that is? Do you pray for that? Do you pray for that for your children? Do you thank the Lord for it? Do you thank the Lord where you wanted to do something and you couldn't do it? It's true silence. Yes, I have. Amen, brother. Verse 14. I know I'm skipping verses, but I, listen. The lesson is one. Israel, you're bad. Turn to the Lord, and He'll have mercy on you. If you don't, He's going to tear you in pieces. The the, the verses in between are just saying that in different ways over and over and over again. Verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfortably unto her. I will allure her. We have a lover. In the New Testament, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it was Jehovah God. He seduces us. He entices us. He gets us out in the wilderness where there's nothing to satisfy us except Him. And then He speaks comfortably to us. This is the God of heaven with Israel. And listen, Israel was profane. Israel was wicked. But this is what God does. God comes after those that stray from Him and He allures them. How do you know when God's alluring you? I've taught you this. Over a hundred times. When you feel conviction in your soul, and you're not content with living your life status quo, that is from the Holy Spirit of God stirring up your heart and alluring you. Right. When you feel the urgings within you that I ought to turn unto the Lord and get things right in my life and follow him with my whole heart, that's God coming after you with his loving kindness he's taken you into the wilderness where you can't find any satisfaction or solace, and then he speaks comfortably to you that if you would turn to him, he will love you and receive you again, and you can have the good life back. This is the Lord's dealings with his people, and it's right here in the book of Hosea. And it's even said to Israel, it's even said to Israel, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And then he goes on and describes how their relationship is going to get back together, and they're going to be friends and lovers again, and husband and wife, like they should be. And he's going to bless her. You can read the next five verses and see that. Let's go to chapter 4. Chapter 4. What have we learned so far? What lessons have we learned so far? That God wants all of us, and if we don't give Him all of us, then we're guilty of spiritual adultery and whoredom. We've learned that if we are hypocrites, even in our zeal... Even if we do great zeal and great things to the Lord, but we're hypocrites, God's going to judge us like He did the house of Jehu. We have learned that God can hedge us about so that we can't realize our goals. God can deliver us from trouble without us ever lifting a finger. He wants us to put our trust in Him in the day of trouble, and He will deliver. And He'll deliver by Himself. He wants us to get to the place where we say it was better back there with my previous husband, my first husband, the Lord Himself. He wants us to know that He'll allure us. And take us into the wilderness and speak comfortably to us. Do you pray for that? When when you feel it, do you do something with it? Have you ever heard me say, before the God of heaven, have you heard me say that when you feel conviction in your soul, run with that conviction as fast as you can as far as you can? James, you know who I'm worried about on that matter. Don't you? Make sure you do it. Whenever we're convicted about anything... You run with that conviction. That's the Lord alluring you, moving you, stirring your spirit toward Him. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Chapter 4 and verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. There was a reason that Israel was so profane and did not love the Lord their God and went a-whoring after other gods, and it's because of the priesthood. It's because of their ministers. And it's the same way today. The ministers are the ones that are to be blamed. The ministers are the ones accountable before God. The ministers are the ones that are supposed to be feeding their people the knowledge of God from the Word of God, and they're not doing it. They're having little. They don't even. They they shouldn't even be called sermonettes anymore because they're not preaching the Bible. They're telling stories and they're they're giving prosperity little lessons that are given in corporate America or at or at AA or at Dale Carnegie seminars. It's not the gospel. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The reason the Israelites went after other gods and were living wicked lives is because their ministers weren't pounding them with the word of God. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. You and your children and your grandchildren that could have been and should have been priests before me forever are wiped out. You're going to be cast into the nations where you're not going to be able to serve at all and you're going to have to go get yourself a job in farming or in textiles or in baking or in shoemaking like the other tribes have to. Your job before me, which was an exalted position that I gave you, is going to be taken away. This is against the priests of God. You can see that by reading the whole verse because it says, I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me. And he goes on and describes them that they had increased in the priesthood. The ministry was this grand and glorious thing. You know, we've got ministers that sit with our presidents, but they won't tell them the truth. And so our people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verses 3 and 4 say, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Well, what will they do when people don't want to hear sound doctrine anymore? Will there be anyone around to teach them? So they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They will satisfy their lusts. And so there's a a heap of them. There's a big heap of false teachers today based on 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 because it's the same problem that we have right here. The God's controversy with America is greatly because of what's going on in her pulpits. They don't preach the Bible anymore. In my lifetime, I'm still a youngster in some ways some days I'm old some days I'm young depending on the need but I'm a youngster but in my lifetime the men used to preach the Bible right. even Arminians used to preach the Bible I mean they'd pound the pulpit and they'd shout and they'd rip their ties off and they'd, sweat would be flying and they'd be hurling God's word at people yes some of it was an error but they were trying to preach the Bible with the light God had given them right. now it's storytelling by guys in golf shirts and loafers and spiked hair They don't preach the Bible. They don't even have a Bible. The message that Rick Warren uses is not a Bible. It's a novel about the Bible. It was written by Eugene Peterson. Go read the pagans' philosophy about the Bible. It's not a Bible. It's not God's words. It's Eugene Peterson's words. And he's very wordy. It's much longer than the Bible. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, God's going to rip out that priesthood. In Malachi chapter 2, he gets plainer than this. He says, your solemn assemblies, it's dung. And I'm going to take that dung and I'm going to smear it in your faces. Why? Because you've been partial in my law. Do you know what those guys do? They have secretaries that sit down with a computer and have 30 modern versions. And they run through it for sound bites. They pull about 10 sound bites, put it on a little piece of paper, put it on an overhead, so that you can go into a church with 2,000 people that are there in flip-flops, shorts, and tank tops that think they know Jesus. It's another Jesus. Right. And then they can flash those up on the screen. Nobody brings a Bible because nobody needs a Bible. There's no Bible preaching. Right. And what Bible would they bring? He's using 30 versions. They do, they do a word search, and they come up with little phrases. The last time I went to Brookwood... The last time I went to Brookwood, they used eight versions, and none of them were the King James Bible. It's whatever soundbite sounds the best. Then he gets up and talks about that in his golf shirt as he strolls around and tells you the seven Ps for prosperity, pleasure, and privilege. I want you all to be happy today. Let's be happy. Can we look in the mirror and say we're happy, children? Look at your neighbor and tell him that he looks great today. You know, I can't smile or even do it. Joel Osteen? Are you kidding me? He's never heard Bible preaching and he's never tried Bible preaching. He wouldn't recognize. He'd be scared. He'd run out with his loins loose and his pants wet. If he ever heard real Bible preaching. Watch him for five minutes on the television. He's a disgusting disgrace. Amen. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If Joel Osteen were to get up in that that uh, coliseum that he's going to preach in tonight and unload on fornication, living with somebody without being married, having premarital sex without being married, and start ripping away, a third of the congregation would have to get up and leave because they're all guilty of it. I've heard John Hagee on television say, those of, you, those of you in this church that are living with each other without being married, you know, you ought to get married. Now, John Hagee's pretty tough compared to Joel Osteen. Right. But I said, can I hear that one more time? That those in this church who are living with each other that aren't married. What? <laughs> what? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, God's going to reject them from being priests. And he's also going to forget their children. He's going to wipe out their family trees, even though they were the chosen tribe that were to serve him all the days of their lives, the tribe of Levi. That's chapter 4 and verse 6. Pastors today don't preach the truth because people don't want to hear it. But what's the cure? Second Timothy chapter 4, same passage that says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. What's the cure in that place? Preach the Word. Be instant. In season, out of season. What does it mean to be instant? To be insistent, pressing, urgent. In season or out of season. Whether they want to hear it or they don't want to hear it. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort. With all long-suffering and doctrine. That is the job description of Joel Osteen, but he doesn't do it. That's the job description of Rick Warren, but he doesn't do it. But we better be walking the walk while we're talking the talk if we're going to follow the Bible correctly and not be guilty of what's in chapter 1, verse 4. And that was the judgment of Jehu. Though exceeding zealous, he had been a hypocrite. Verse 7 goes on to talk about those priests and their families. As they were increased, the ministers got very popular and famous. Joel Osteen's, Rick Warren's, and the rest that are like them. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. This is ministers. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people, and they set their heart on their iniquity. And there shall be like people, like priests. And I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase, because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. This is God's judgment upon ministers that don't preach God's word and teach God's people the way of righteousness. The last verse of this book is going to tell us, are you wise? You can understand these things. Are you prudent? You can know these things. What things? God's warnings. God's warnings about hypocrisy. God's offerings of, thorny, of putting a hedge of thorn in your way. God's offers of alluring you. For us to consider all these things, and if we will do them and walk therein, we'll be delivered. But if we reject them, we shall fall therein. Because all the, all the warnings of this book will come to fall on our heads. But all the blessings of this book can be ours and we can lay hold of them if we will turn unto the Lord with all our heart and walk in his ways and love him. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.